Welcome to the Life Coaching with Ryan podcast, episode 12. So today we transition from my friend Chris to my friend Jenny, who you heard in my first podcast series, words, 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 talking about labels, self-talk, and mantras. And I knew she had recently lost her parents, and so I wanted to interview her too along our theme for this month, Wrongness of Death. Now, a few things of note. One, we uh, did our interview together on hotel Wi-Fi. So she breaks up uh, in some parts, but I decided to release the interview anyway because I felt there was so much value in what we discussed. Uh, So I think it's worth listening through some of the ips and glurps and blips uh, that you'll be getting. Uh, Also, as we wrap up our month here over the next two weeks, I wanted to take some time to thank my new patrons, Aaron and John. Thank you so much for contributing over on patreon.com. Uh, please go check me out, patreon.com slash lifecoachingwithryan, uh, and support the cost. And with that, uh, let's get into it. <laughs> I'll do a little just in case I do want to sync up any audio, though I probably won't care. But okay, so I'm a little bit less nervous this time. Uh, compared to the first time, but I'll go ahead and introduce you again, similarly to uh, the the last time, and that is that my guest today is the lovely and wonderful Jenny Ward, who is a teacher, a a life coach, a parent, a yoga teacher, uh, all-around badass, uh, (laughs) who I am so happy that I get to hang out with again uh, today uh, for a different topic, uh, being the wrongness of death. So hi, Jenny. Hi. <laughs> so I thought to start, it might be good um, kind of talk about, I don't know, overview of the loss of your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple minutes and let people know kind of what the backstory is on that. Yeah. Um, it's so funny because when you lose, when you lose someone, you forget how long ago it was. Mm. Um, it's sort of an, int- but it's, it seems so recent at the same time. Yeah. So I was just thinking like, when did my dad die? And it's like the years, I can't really pinpoint when he died, I t- probably five years ago. But my dad died of cancer first. Um, he was diagnosed and passed away maybe eight or nine months later. Um, oh, wow. quick. It was quick. It felt like eternity um, in terms of the pain that he went through. And then my mom was diagnosed right after my dad died. Mm. And she passed away about a year after that. So they passed away in the time frame of two years around this, like, you know, I lost them in two years, basically. So I went from burying my dad to going to see my mom and they lived far away from me. So I had to fly there and, uh, So I feel in hindsight, sounds weird, but I was already on, like, I was already numb. Mm. Like, I lost my dad and I was still on that energy level. So I feel like my mom, I kind of flew right into my mom. It was sort of like, oh, I know how to do this. (laughs) That sounds crazy, but um, I think if my mom was five, six, seven years later, I would have been like jolted back into, but it felt like I've already in the pain. I might as well just keep going sort of. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I already knew the script. Yeah. 
and it sounds like I'm removed from it because I, I was removed from it. Yeah. My goal was to take care of my parents and, and to basically watch them die. So that was what I was supposed to be doing. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you mentioned a script. I think that's interesting. Um, before I jump into any other questions, what, kind of how would you identify that script? Um, I think it's complicated. Uh, you know, when you hear, I hide your dad and I have something to tell you and I have cancer, I'm going to be okay. You know? Um, I think the writing of the script begins then. How long does he have? How often can I get there? What do I need to say to him? Right. Am I capable of watching him die? Um, am I capable of watching him be weak? Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it begins the script of there's a finality and it's known. It's sort of like, okay. Um, and I felt the same script with my mom. Like, okay, how soon can I get there? When it's hospice, like, you know, you, you see the, the through line. Like once hospice came, it was, I knew she was going to leave. It's like, we all kind of, um, go during, it's like marching orders. And unfortunately, mm. because it's very organized. <laughs> Regimented, yeah. It removes you from feeling the pain. Sure. So I understand why people control it and marginalize it. And um, to a certain extent, I did as well, because it's just too painful. You just don't want to deal with that day to day. Um, yeah. And then the guilt if you can't be there and yeah, it's like sort of all the shame that you learned as a child exaggerated into like, like ah, obligation, shame, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just like, oh, what's my role as a child? What do I have to do? That's the script. I mean, that's what came up for me, at least. Yeah, well, when I was talking to Chris, um, which theoretically was going to get released before this conversation, um, what was really interesting was processing what you're calling the script, mm -hmm. right? Is what, what do the next couple months look like? What do the next couple years look like? What is, what is kind of, whoa. His, in his circumstance, um, there was a sense of finality also, which ended up getting flipped over and not being as final as had been anticipated. So the script kind of got flipped in the middle. Uh, but certainly talking about um, mortality, finality. Yes. <clears throat> uh, and, and the experience of coming to the end of a journey with someone was still, still very present um, in, in those conversations. So actually that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about next as you mentioned that you were traveling back and forth, so you weren't in the position where you were getting to care directly for your parents. Is that an accurate statement? So you would, you had visited them um, as they were passing, but you weren't there with them for the whole process. I stayed at the end for a bit of time. Mm. Came to my dad, mom, making sure she was paying for. Um, but they weren't really 
I was there four weeks for both of them. I did not stay for them to die. I was not there for either one of their deaths. It's uh, interesting because my sister was. Um, and in both situations, I had an obligation to get my daughter who was in an, with her dad. So in both situations, I had to go retrieve my daughter from her dad in another country and bring her back. And I remember feeling torn about, I knew that if I left, they were going to die. Like I knew, I knew that I was not going to be able to see them die. And I, I remember feeling, do I go see my daughter or do I watch my dad die? Do I go see my daughter or do I watch my mom die? Um, and that's, I think for me, has been the most interesting choice. Uh, I didn't see either one of them pass away. And I then like watch the go, oh, it was so magical when they left their body. And everybody was like, oh, Shanti. And I was like, I, for some reason felt, I know my limitation and I just couldn't do that. And I was surprised by that. I was like, mm -hmm. wow, I, but I was willing to just accept it. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. You realize your own relationship to how do I want, what are the last moments I want to see with this person? How do I want to, what are my takeaways with this person? What can I handle? What can I not handle? Um, what is my obligation? What is not my obligation? Uh, and what do they, if I were to ask my mom, would she be okay if I wasn't there if she died? Yeah, she would have been okay. She would have been okay with me being with my daughter. So um, all of these questions that never come up in life just become really, you never know how to answer them until they're there. Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting, um, and maybe we can get to this, but I've always been more interested to how people handle death what I heard when my mom was dying, what I heard after she died, what comes up for people. And we are not educated on that. We do not have classes on that. We do not talk about that. Right. And I, for me, that's a deficit in our culture. Um, there's no, there's this way or this way and that's it. Right. Um, and, you know, Jenny, you should have been there for your mom's death. You should like, and that's it. And there's no like gray, there's no gray. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I actually answered your question, but I was <laughs> there. I was there for a significant amount of time, especially with my mom. I took care of my mom. I, I changed her diaper. I changed her diaper. I changed her diaper. Wow. I, I bathed her. I heard her talk about her mom. My mom was seeing her own mother i i watched significant esoteric things that were really mind-boggling um i got to make my peace with my mom mm. um so for me that was what really mattered so t tell me more about that um how how did the dying process change your relationship with your mom I think prior to her dying, I think when she found out she was diagnosed, this was her fourth bout of cancer. So um, she was a major bad. Um, but when she told me she was diagnosed, I knew this was it. I think she was super tired. Yeah. Um, 
and she's fighting it. And so once she told me into her death, I think she and I did a lot of work together. I think we said things to each other that we probably should have said many years. I found my mom in touch with her own mortality, being so spiritual and so kind and so generous with her heart. I found the pieces of her personality that, you know, and lived in fear were like removed. Um, it was sort of like she became a five-year-old girl, hmm. wonder about life, like, and I was really grateful to with her. I, I am glad that I got to experience that with that from her. I wanted her to be at peace with life, to enjoy life. So she did, she did the last year. I mean, she definitely had deeper talks and trusted life and told me it was going to be okay. And, you know, she did all these things for my daughter. She planned out all these things, like what she was going to get. So Leela would be to this day, Leela gets things every month. It's sort of like she organized ways of her being connected with my daughter. Um, so my mom was very conscientious of how to keep her legacy alive. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but I mean, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. But I think it's, um, I don't want to sound ungrateful because I, I am. I think what my mom taught, no way I'm going to wait to the last year of my life to live like this. Yeah. There's just no way that it's going to take knowing that I'm going to die to finally live. Um, And although I'm so glad that she got to finally experience that, I was also, I I learned that I don't want to do that and also kind of angry at it. And I think after she died, I got in touch with like, why weren't you that the whole, why didn't you do that the whole time you were here? Like, why weren't you that way when I needed you to be that way? And, you know, it was like, I had to, grieve the mother I never had and grieve getting her for one year when she was dying. And I mean, it's so complicated. It's so complex, um, but anger is a big piece. And when people, yeah. um, let me talk about this, but like when people die, we have a tendency to fantasize about how they were mm, like, yeah. We focus on all the good and, you know, and it makes us feel better. And I completely get that. Romanticize them. But I chose not to do that. I don't feel like that's healthy or productive when you're grieving. Mm. I think it's actually destructive. (laughs) Well, rose-colored glasses are a typical coping mechanism for lots of areas of our lives, you know, whether it's uh, past relationship. I was talking to someone recently who was talking about, um, or you know, I was talking to a client recently, and she was talking about how uh, she thinks about her ex, and it requires reminding herself how shitty the relationship was <laughs> to go. <laughs> Oh, why am I giving him any space in my brain right now? Exactly. And it's like, yeah, that's that's valuable. And and also I find that um, telling ourselves half truths or barely truths in order to cope for something 
Yes. Often leads us to not trust ourselves. Yes. Um, and, and, and even if it's just not trusting ourselves in the moment means that coping strategy is not very successful because um, it doesn't actually address the feeling we have underneath, right? So we have all this like, <clears throat> and we try to tell ourselves a lie in order to calm this down, but all it does is cover it up and we still are like, yes. <clears throat> so why not be Deal with that? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Experience the discomfort. Now, if there's someone who loops in their feelings, and that's a chronic clinical thing, then of course they may need to choose a different strategy. Yes. Um, but being able to be present with our discomfort and then telling ourselves truths about alternate truths, not alternate alternative facts, but <laughs> things that are actually true. Yes. Um, that are true, but it is a different perspective can be very valuable. That's one thing, but it's another thing to just be like, my mom was the best. She was always the best. We never had any fights ever. She always took such good care of me. It was always so full of life. And oh wait, no, I actually experienced her as a horrid bitch who sucked my soul for most of my life, right? That's, <laughs> it's a different type of resolution to come to, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Does well, I think, yeah, I think for me, I mean, uh, I grew up playing pretend. I mm. learned how to play pretend. You, you, just, you just smile, Jenny, and you, and you just be a good girl. And you know, even though our family is falling apart, no one needs to know about it. You know, please don't rock the boat. I learned all those strategies. It doesn't mean that I liked them, but I understood them. So when she died, I no longer wanted to pretend. And I think on some level it was freeing. I'm gonna, I was like, I'm actually gonna, grieve without pretending <laughs> and um yeah. that was extremely relieving i didn't have the parental units to hold me accountable to pretend anymore mm. i didn't have to and um yeah i could i could do it the way that i wanted to do it i could find the way jenny could find it and who was jenny anyways so when you lose both your parents you kind of become an orphan yeah. and it's it's an interesting place to be in because then you get to decide um i wouldn't want this for younger children but when you're in your 40s you're like wow okay who am i yeah um, what do well, i need you're to you're only 21 though i don't know what you're talking about this whole in your <laughs> for anyone who listened to the first podcast that we did exactly <laughs> exactly but anyway yes and when you're in 40s it's a different experience because you're a grown-ass woman Yes. You have your own adult life. Yes. You can make different decisions than someone who is still reliant in some way, whether fiscally or emotionally or whatever else on their parents. Yes. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. So you're talking about caring for your mom. Did What impact did caring for your mom have on your identity, sense of self, relationship with her? Like what, what was, was that in any way transformative having to care for her? It's a really good question. Um, I'm going to answer it in two ways. Cool. Um, I remember when she, I was, I was bathing her and I was trying to help her get out of the shower and she just had a very hard time walking, but she still had like her sense, like she still could talk and she was very, um, and so we had to put her diaper on and my mom's like, who would have thought, 
that you'd be putting diapers on me. You know, mm -hmm. like she made this like very, because at that point she was already in childlike wonder. Like yeah. she could find play. Um, and I remember laughing going, yeah, oh, it's pretty interesting mom, you know, and like that banter. But then I'm going to answer the second way. I always took care of my mom. Mm. There was, this was just different because it was horrifying to watch her die mm. and to become weaker and not have any control over it. I had no control over it. I didn't know if the next day she was going to be awake. I didn't. And that's horrifying experience. But the act of taking care of my mom, it was different because it was not just emotional. It was physical now. Um, that was very normal for me. <laughs> so I think the yeah. abnormal part was she was going to die. And that was the only thing that was abnormal about it. And I couldn't ask her to be my mom anymore. Even if she was my mom, like, hey, mom, I'm going to go to Nordstrom. What do you recommend I buy? Like, I still had my mom to call to do those kinds of questions. I still could call my mom to, to sew something for my daughter. Like, I still had a mom to call. And I was like, oh, this is different because I no longer have a mom. Um, hmm. but, but it wasn't different in terms of me taking care of her. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I was my mother's mother for my childhood. So in your book, you mentioned that. Yeah. But this was different because I had to come to terms with the mom that I needed her to be was never going to happen. Right. And the mom that she showed up to be, I was losing. So it was like, Oh, like there, it's a really interesting, I had to create her to be my mom in the best way that she could. And I feel like I got to that place in my life where I knew her strengths and I knew her capabilities and I was going to lose that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just interesting. I realized how important that was too. And I used to frivolize it, but that was important as well. So you had two losses effectively compounding each other. Yeah. Both the transition into how you cared for your mom and then the loss of that new mom, as it were. Yeah, and also I think I've grieved and I don't, I think when people, I've talked to a lot of people about this, especially um, women who have had narcissistic parents. I'm not, I don't like labeling, but my mom had a very hard time stepping outside of herself. Um, so, I think you grieve your whole life not having that kind of a mother. I think hmm. you recognize the mother that you do have and then you go over to your best friend's house and you recognize that there are other people's moms that are a different way. Are a different way and yeah. I mourned that from a very early age. So her dying was a f that keeps happening. It's not because she's dead I don't mourn that. <laughs> it's like that keeps continuing on right that loss of like i never had a mom like that i wish i had a mom like that yeah yeah huh so when she passed what were your responsibilities mm -hmm. once she had passed like, were you executor of the estate? What was your sister's involvement? Like, what did that whole situation look like? 
Yeah. Um, I am a, I believe wholeheartedly that you find out who people are when someone dies <laughs> or when you get a divorce or like, I don't know. And like big shit happens. Yeah. Stuff, people's stuff comes up. It's like, so, you know, because I lost my parents in a time frame of two years, I just got to really see major, major dysfunction. It was like, it was like a tornado of all the work that we didn't do as a family. Just <laughs> like all the pretending, erupting, like all like be good, be nice. It was like, wow, like no one's being good and no one's being <laughs> nice. Um, and on some level it was like freeing. I'm like, oh, great. Now we're all kind of being who we are. Okay, I can show up for this, right? <laughs> I'm in, like Jenny. I've wanted this my whole life. Exactly. So you know, I think I'm still processing the the relationship that I had with my sister, and how when our parents died, it exacerbated every single thing we didn't want to deal with. Our parents kind of kept us together, um, and so it was like the lid was off, and she was free to unleash. Um, and that's obviously hers, but it was refreshing actually to finally hear the truth. Um, so she was the executor. Um, I had to deal with, you know, making sure the life insurance policy went through, making sure the people that were getting the money from the life insurance, cause my mom had a partner. I mean, it was the house that she lived in, my sister was in charge of, but I was in charge of getting everything removed out of the house, um, boxing everything up, selling it. So that took a significant amount of time. Um, I remember, I mean, and this is, I'm gonna try and be really political correct because I still have work to do on this. So just like, bear with me. It's, uh, when someone dies, what we do, how we cope. So. My sister is making sure she gets everything. And I'm like, just take it. You know, like I didn't want to, I don't want any of it. Like all of my mom's ceramics and like, I took one and that was enough. And my sister's like, I get all of this. I get it all. You know, it's like, yeah. I get to be loved more. And, and I'm like, just take it. You know, and it's like, everyone's shit comes up. Yeah. And it, it it's like, there's nothing you can do that's logical in any of those moments. And I just decided to let the tornado be the tornado and not engage until six months later um, because it's, it's, it's illogical what you're feeling. And um, irrational. It's completely irrational. And, and I think in general, my sister was in charge of making sure the church was like, we in who was going to be invited. Um, yes, live in Ohio. I live in California. So um, I was in charge of like, I had to sell her car and it was just, I've never really had to do before. And it it's, and I didn't want to do literally didn't want to do things when he wants to hide and run away and like show up to a car dealership. Right. Um, 
So unfortunately, my hotel Wi-Fi is acting up, so you are chopping up quite a bit uh, during that last part. Um, but let me see if I can capture it. Uh, essentially, you, you had a lot of stuff come up that you hadn't previously had to deal with, whether it was planning a memorial or um, selling cars and things like that. And the last thing you really wanted to do when you were in that emotional state was have to deal with all of those things. How, did I do an okay job of capturing that? Yep. Excellent. And now the internet is at least moderately stable. So hopefully we won't have to another, another interruption. Um, but yeah, so sorry, I, I didn't know if you had more to say about that. I think for me, um, we'll get there, but all of that stuff is to do. And on some level going, um, waking up, it keeps, because there's so much to do, you get, do it, do it, do it, do it. And I think there's a, there's a purpose in that. I think it, it's benefit. It's when it's two or months after is when it hits you. Mm -hmm. Shock. I don't remember my, like pieces of my mom and dad's funeral, but not, uh, it's all done and everything is settled seen all the cray cray with your family and like, and the tornado stop back into real life is, is when people don't get any support. All the cards come, hours, people Facebook you, says, I wish you love and light. But life goes on and you are never the same. So it's sort of like into a movie and going, do this. But everyone's like, hey, good to see you. Mm. Expecting you to, to be participating in life. Um, me, that was the big challenge. I want, I comprehend the lack of understanding and awareness from people um and it's not their fault we're just not taught uh i used to go to the doctors and they would want my medical history and i would just lose it and leave like i didn't know my medical history i didn't know if my dad had an issue with his blah 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 so like those those are the things that i think we don't think about when we're burying someone you know it's like shock 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 and then selling and selling and selling we don't really think about integrating into life are significantly altered um it reminds me and in no way shape or form am i saying i'm the same but it reminds me of a, a coming back from war mm -hmm. you know and, and and being asked to participate in life when you have watched people be blown up for like a year and a half and like welcome home and yeah good luck getting a job and you look great. And so, you know, and it's like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do, it's that similar, like, I don't know how to do this. Um, I don't know who I am. <laughs> it's like a weird, yeah, that when we talk about loss and grief, I feel that is where as a society, we are losing touch with moving on too quickly. Um, and it, it, it's just not true. 
It's mm -hmm. just not a reality. Life moves on, but you are fundamentally different. So that's where I think more people need the support and care, actually, when we're talking about grief and loss. And here's a little preview of what's coming up next week. Yeah, uh, something that I think is very interesting and why I <clears throat> called this theme the wrongness of death is because I find in our culture, we think of death as separate from life as somehow evil because it takes life. Um, we see it as a, as a deficit. Yes. Um, and we see it as uh, cutting out of, as it were, a removal of something. And, and we want to remain whole and therefore death is, is bad. So one thing that I found very interesting in my conversation with Chris was his, that we talked about the difference between a dying ritual and a death ritual right? Mm. We don't tend to have dying rituals in our culture. Um, you said, you know, either you're there for your parents' death or you're not. That's a right or a wrong thing. We don't have what, what is the year before your parents' death look like? If you know for a full year that they're going to die or, you know, other than unction or, you know, the sacraments for, for the dying or the sick, they're specific to certain religious practices. Oh, I lost you for a second there and he came back. That's good. <laughs> um, we don't really have anything for that. And then from my conversation with you right now, what I'm also hearing is we don't have any reintegration rituals or practices either. We have death is awful. Now you're dead. Let's accept that you're dead by having a memorial, funeral, burial, cremation, whatever it is. And then as soon as we're done with that, let's get back to living life, right? Yes. But there seems to be no honoring of the dying process, nor honoring of the living without this person process. Yes. Following. I agree. So what, what is it that you would have liked? Like the show? Consider subscribing through my Patreon at patreon.com slash lifecoachingwithryan. You'll get early access to shows and potentially a host of other rewards. Want more? You can also find me streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash lifecoachingwithryan, where I play some games and I continue the conversation. I'm pretty active on Instagram. You can find me at instagram.com slash educate for the number four underscore life. That's where I do my book club. I record the book club episodes live on Mondays, and then I post them to IGTV. Later, I post them on YouTube. See you next time.